Wrestling with Theology is a weekly Bible study that seeks to equip you to wrestle with the theologies that surround us in our everyday life. Through these studies, your faith in Christ will be strengthened through the Scriptures and the Lutheran Confessions. Join Pastor Minton for these next few minutes as he helps you get ready to wrestle with theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton here standing in the confessional corner to bring you into the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 2. Now, if you remember from a couple of months back when we were going through the computation, this is the first of the articles that were approved with exceptions by the Pope's theologians. While they accept the substance, they have a couple of problems with this article. And the primary problem they have in Article 2 is the definitions of original sin and concupiscence. And as Melanchthon writes his response and defense, he intertwines these two things. We'll go back to the computation for a minute. The Pope refused to accept that original sin means that humanity is born without fear and trust in God. The Pope also refused to accept that concupiscence is a sin that remains in children after their baptism. So those are the two problems that we have. But once again, it starts off with the definitions. So Melanchthon goes back and forth with these as he goes through this article. So begin in paragraph 1 of Article 2 on Original Sin. The adversaries approve Article 2, Original Sin, but in such a way that they actually condemn our definition of Original Sin, which we gave in passing. Here, right at the outset, your majesty will discover that the confutationist writers were lacking not only judgment, but also honesty. We simply wanted to mention the things that original sin includes. But these men, by creating a misleading interpretation, cleverly twist a statement that in itself contains nothing wrong. So they say to lack fear of God and to lack faith is actual guilt. Therefore, they deny it is original sin. Clearly, these sorts of subtleties start in the schools, not in the emperor's council. Even though such sophistry can be easily refuted, we ask that the Augsburg Confession in German be examined, so that all good people will understand that we do not teach anything absurd in this matter. This will free us from the suspicion of teaching something new. For there it is written, It is further taught that since Adam's fall, all human beings who are naturally conceived are born in sin. From their mother's womb they are filled with evil desire and the inclination toward evil. By nature, they have no true fear of God and no true faith in God. As this passage demonstrates, we teach that those who are born according to the fleshly nature have concupiscence. This means people not only lack fear and trust in God, but also do not even have the power or gifts to produce fear and trust in God. What fault can be found with this point? Indeed, we think that we have explained and defended ourselves well enough to good men. For in this sense, the Latin description denies to, to nature the ability, gifts, and energy to produce fear and trust in God. In adults, we deny the ability actually to do anything truly good. 
So when we mention concupiscence, we understand not only the acts or fruit, but also the constant inclination of the nature. So in this introduction, we have the status of the controversy, as we'll see from the formula of Concord and their use of the language there, that we have this difference in the wording of definitions, that original sin contains the lack of fear of God and the lack of faith in God. That concupiscence also means that we cannot generate faith on our own. We cannot trust God, just as Luther will say in the small catechism on the third article, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. That is the essence of concupiscence, that it is this disease within us that corrupts our nature so completely that we cannot but sin without the grace of God. Therefore, he talks about the constant inclination of the nature. So we move on into paragraph 4. Now we will show more fully that our description agrees with the usual and ancient definition. First, we must show why we prefer to use these words in this place. In their schools, the adversaries confess that the material, as they call it, of original sin is concupiscence. We should not have passed by this fact in framing our definition, precisely because some are offering philosophical speculations in a way that is not appropriate for teachers of religion. Again, the problem, one of the main problems in the medieval church was the introduction of philosophy into religion, trying to bring in Plato and Aristotle and natural reason that is not shaped by the grace of God to then have preference and priority over the word of God. Langton goes on, some of them claim that original sin is not a depravity or corruption in human nature, but only servitude or a condition of mortality. They say that it is not inherent in our nature, but rather is a burden put on us as a result of Adam's sin, not that we have any such depravity of our own. Besides, they add that no one is condemned to eternal death on account of original sin, just as a child born of a slave woman becomes a slave not as a result of any personal fault, but as a result of, a mother's, of his mother's condition. To show that this impious opinion is displeasing to us, we use the word concupiscence. With the best intention, we have explained this term as diseases and said that the nature of human beings is born corrupt and full of faults. We have not only used the word concupiscence, but we have also said that the fear of God and faith are lacking. We added this comment because the scholastic teachers do not understand the definition of original sin well enough. They take what they received from the fathers and extend the definition of original sin. They argue that the evil inclination is a quality like a blemish on the body. With their usual folly, they ask whether this quality is caused by the, from the contagiousness of the apple or from the breath of the serpent and whether medicines can cure the condition. They suppress the main point with such questions. I'm going to stop here even though we're in the middle of a lengthy paragraph here from Melanchthon. This is the problem with many theological debates, just as we saw with the presidential and vice-presidential debates over the course of the last month. People are wanting to sidestep the real issue to talk about what they want to talk about or bring up crazy and even dumb questions, much like 
is concupiscence a contagion from the apple that was eaten, or did it come from the breath of the serpent? We can't answer that question from the Bible, so they have to bring in philosophy and kind of the idea of, well, let's see how this logically could play out as to why we have this concupiscence within us. Anything to say that it is not a natural inclination that we can't get rid of. Moving on in paragraph 8. So when they talk about original sin, they do not mention the more serious faults of human nature, such as ignorance of God, contempt for God, total lack of fear of God, and confidence in God, hatred of God's judgment, fleeing from God when he judges us, anger toward God, despairing of God's grace, putting trust in things of this world, and so forth. The scholastics do not notice all these diseases that are totally contrary to God's law. They even say that human nature is entirely capable of loving God above all things and fulfilling God's commandments according to the substance of the act. These diseases are totally contrary to God's law, but the scholastics do not notice them. They do not even realize that they are contradicting themselves. This is the problem with debate many times, is you begin to contradict yourself because you're saying one thing, then your opponent says something else, and then you go into something, a side issue, that ends up contradicting your original statement. And this is exactly what the papal theologians in the medieval church were doing. That going back all the way to Augustine, we had this condemnation of the Pelagians. Followers of Pelagius, who was a monk in Britain, who said that people could actually choose to do good. They could choose to have faith in God. That we weren't corrupt by nature. The church condemned it way back in the 5th century with Augustine. The papal theologians bring that out in the confutation over and over and over again. But when it comes to the topic of original sin and concupiscence, they are in fact Pelagians because they say that human nature is entirely capable of loving God above all things and fulfilling God's commandments according to the substance of the act. In other words, civil righteousness, righteousness before men, equals righteousness before God. So the papal theologians, in trying to contradict what Luther and his followers have been saying, have gone all the way back to committing the error of Pelagius himself, whom they have condemned. We go on and Paragraph 9, for what else is being able by one's own strength to love God above all things and fulfill his commandments except original righteousness? That state of perfection in which Adam and Eve were created in but lost in the fall. If human nature is so strong that it is able on its own to love God above all things, as the scholastics confidently affirm, what then is original sin? Why do we need God's grace if we can be justified as a result of our own righteousness? Why do we need the Holy Spirit if we are strong enough on our own to love God above all things and fulfill God's commands? Is there anyone who does not realize that our adversaries' ideas are absurd? They recognize the less serious diseases in human nature, but the more serious they do not even acknowledge. Scripture everywhere warns us, as the prophets continually complain, about putting our confidence in our human abilities, contempt for God, hating God, and similar faults which have been born. 
See Psalm 13 and other passages such as Psalm 14, 1 through 3, Psalm 140, verse 3, and Psalm 36, verse 1. After the scholastics mixed philosophical speculations about the perfection of nature, the light of reason, with Christian doctrine, they credited more than was possible to the ability of free will. They taught that people are justified before God by philosophical or civil righteousness. We too confess that such things are subject to reason, and so to some degree are within our power. However, as a result of their speculations, they could not see the inner uncleanness of human nature. This can only be evaluated and understood on the basis of God's word, which the scholastics do not use very often in their discussions. Again, this philosophical or civil righteousness equals righteousness before God in the scholastic theology. These were the reasons why we also mentioned concupiscence in our description of original sin and why we denied to human nature the ability to fear and trust in God. We wanted to show that original sin contains these diseases. Ignorance of God, contempt for God, not having fear and trust in God, the inability to love God. These are the chief faults of human nature because they conflict with the first table of the Ten Commandments. We have not said anything new. The ancient definition of original sin, understood correctly, says precisely the same thing. Original sin is the absence of original righteousness. But what is righteousness? Here the scholastics wrangle over philosophical questions. They do not explain what original righteousness is. In the scriptures, righteousness consists not only in obeying the second table of the Ten Commandments, which are about good works and serving our fellow man, but also the first table, which teaches about fearing God, faith, and loving God. Therefore, original righteousness includes not only physical health in all ways, as they contend, but also these gifts, a sure and certain knowledge of God, fear of God, confidence in God, and the desire and ability to give God these things. Scripture testifies to this when it says in Genesis 1.27 that man was made in the image and likeness of God. What else was this image and likeness other than that man was created with wisdom and righteousness so that he could apprehend God and reflect God? Mankind was given the gift of knowing God, fearing God, and being confident in God. This is how Irenaeus and Ambrose interpret the likeness to God. Ambrose not only says many things to this effect, but especially declares, that soul is not therefore in the image of God, in which God is not dwelling at all times. Paul shows in Ephesians 5.9 and Colossians 3.10 that the image of God is the knowledge of God, righteousness, and truth. Lombard is not afraid to say that original righteousness is the very likeness to God which God implanted in man. We recount the opinions of the ancients, which in no way interfere with Augustine's interpretation of the image. So Melanchthon goes back to Irenaeus and Ambrose and Augustine and even Peter Lombard and his sentences to talk about how this has always been the way the church has taught until the philosophy has come in to try to bring back original righteousness that we somehow have the ability to have that. He goes on in paragraph 23. The ancient definition of original sin is that it is a lack of righteousness. This definition not only denies that mankind is capable of obedience in his body, but also denies that mankind is capable of knowing God, placing confidence in God, fearing and loving God, and certainly also the ability to produce such things. For even the theologians themselves teach in their schools that these are not produced without certain gifts and the aid of grace. In order that the matter may be understood, we say that these gifts are precisely the knowledge of God and fear and confidence in God. 
from these facts it appears that the ancient definition says precisely the same thing that we say denying fear and confidence toward god it denies not only the actions but also the gift and the ability to produce these acts what is original sin it is simply the lack of original righteousness it is the lack of righteousness period, and that we do not have fear of God. We do not trust in God. We do not look to Him in all things. Instead, we look to ourselves. We look to other people. We look to fame, fortune, whatever it is, because that is how concupiscence has wired us. And he goes on to bring in Augustine now, in paragraphs 24 and 25. Of equal importance is the definition of original sin found in the writings of Augustine. He is used to defining original sin as concupiscence, wicked desire. He means that when righteousness had been lost, concupiscence came in its place. Since diseased nature cannot fear and love God and believe God, it seeks and loves carnal things. By nature, when we are secure, we hold God's judgment in contempt. When we are terrified, we hate God's judgment. This is why Augustine includes both the defect and the vicious habit that has come in its place in his definition of original sin. Concupiscence is not only a corruption of physical qualities, but also, in the higher powers, a vicious turning to fleshly things. These people do not realize the contradiction in what they are saying. At the same time, they attribute to mankind a concupiscence that is not entirely destroyed by the Holy Spirit, and also the ability to love God above all things. You can't have it both ways. Either you have original sin, which keeps you from being able to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Or you have the human nature that is able to do that. We're just held back by something else. It's a blemish on top, not deep-seated inside of us. Next month, we'll go on into Article 2 as a go into the issues of having concupiscence only be like a fleshly thing, only a top level, not deep inside us, going down to the core of what makes us human beings. But that'll be next month when we tackle that. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton, a man who has played with original sin himself, Wishing you God's richest blessings as he gives us his grace in forgiving our original sin. Not destroying it completely, but forgiving it, not counting it against us. Through his grace and mercy and love in sending his son to die for us. And it is in that where God's richest blessings can be found and through which you are able to wrestle with theology this week. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments about what you have heard on Wrestling With Theology, send an email to wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, make sure you have subscribed so it will show up automatically on your podcast app. Please also share the podcast so that more may be equipped to wrestle with theology.